You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Award-winning filmmaker Ava DuVernay joins the Post to discuss her latest initiative to promote diverse representation in Hollywood through her Narrative Change Collective Array. Let's listen. Hello, everybody. I am Jeff Edgers, the national arts reporter here at the Washington Post, and we are very fortunate today um, here at Washington Post Live to have an exceptional guest. Uh, She's a director, an artist, uh, also, I'd say, a singular figure in the arts world, a disruptor. Um, And uh, she's going to talk to us um, about this new initiative that is really designed to not just talk about inclusiveness in Hollywood, but actually make something happen. So. I'm so pleased to be talking to uh, Ava DuVernay. Welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to see you always. Um, and we sort of color coordinated. I'm glad to see that. That's important. Uh, I want to tell you we. I don't, I don't uh, think I've seen you in the full time. It's my collegiate look. I'm trying uh, to operate as a professional here. Okay, no sweatpants. Um, Look, we could talk for hours about your art. Uh, you know, folks have seen uh, when they see us about the Central Park Five, who we call the Exonerated Five, Selma, Wrinkle in Time, and my personal favorite, uh, Middle of Nowhere. But we're here to talk about this initiative, which uh, um, you know I've been fascinated to read about um, that you're doing through Array and Array Alliance, the nonprofit arm of your uh, of your company. Tell us about what exactly this is all about. We hear about inclusiveness, but uh, this sounds like it's actually putting it to practice. Well, you know, it's a tool for inclusivity. I decided about two, three years ago that I was going to stop sitting on panels about diversity, stop participating in articles about diversity, and start to actually look at how we can do diversity. Like, how do we actually create spaces that are inclusive. Because it takes more than people just feeling like it's the right thing to do. Um, You know, when you've had a system that for so long has not favored inclusivity and balance, the system is set up to to not be able to work within that space. And so uh, we need to create tools and processes and protocols that allow people to actually practice what they believe. And hopefully the belief is that more kinds and cultures of people should be involved in our industry, the film and TV industry. I mean, it should be involved in all industries and in all spaces, but certainly as it relates to the making of, of art, the making of film and television, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds of jobs per film and television show that should be open to all kinds of people. And so Array Crew is the tool that we built um, from the ground up to try to achieve that. So Array Crew is right now, it's a website, and I guess the app is going to come online soon. Um, I, I'm interested because I feel like my whole life I've been hearing about, in sports, for example, the NFL, every time a coach opening comes up, they interview uh, a person of color. And over the last few years, we've seen like 11 black coaches go down to eight. Um, it seems like what you're doing is almost like a reverse engineering of that. Instead of saying directors, editors only, we're looking across the board and there's no position that's, uh, that we don't need to really think about here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you talked about in sports, we don't even have that. Is that the Rooney rule? The Rooney rule, which they always called? interview, yeah, they always interview somebody of color 
and then they always pick the guy who they know who is white. We don't even have that. We don't even have always interview someone who's a woman or who is of color or who is outside of, who might be older than the average person or who might have a disability. We don't even have that as a baseline. It is, you can hire, you're gonna hire who you know and who you feel comfortable with. And too often in our industry, that's been the same kind of person. So what we're saying is, look, for those of you who say that you would hire different kinds of people if only you knew them, we're making those people visible to you. It's like an IMDB meets LinkedIn. Um, it basically is uh, increasing visibility for people who've been unseen because in our industry, that rule of just interview someone that you don't know doesn't even exist. It doesn't even exist. And so you have this kind of small circle. It's like high school right? You have your friends that you hang out with on a Friday night and you go out with those friends to the party because you know the experience you're going to get when you go out with those friends. You know those friends you're going to have a good time with. You're going to feel safe with. You know what they like and they know what you like. When you have a new friend come in the mix, uh, it's, it's a little, it's, it's, it's a, you're not sure, right? And so the only way to kind of have a better party is to try to kind of make these connections so that people can be more exposed to different kinds of people and more sure about what they're gonna get. You know, we're saying, look, just interview people and we're helping you find the people to interview. And the hope is that people who believe in inclusion and balance and equity will really use the platform uh, to, uh, you know, introduce new kinds and cultures of people to their set. So I'd, I'd love to hear about, um, you know, you start out making a couple of independent films um, and then you make Selma and 13th. Where was it in your career that you actually, I've heard about this speech that you gave it, at, to the folks on the, on the, at Wrinkle, basically saying, you're gonna go out there and you're gonna interview more than the guys you know. Uh, when was it that you felt like you had the ability to do that? And um, uh, maybe you could tell me, are there, are there examples from Wrinkle, for example, where that uh, you know, sort of played out, um, that you saw the, that in action? Yeah, you know, the, the whole idea really started on Selma because in the independent film realm, as you've, as you've um, you know, stated, I started in independent films. And so in independent films, the crews are very small and it's a lot of, you know, it's anyone who you can get to work on movie, really. So you have all kinds of people uh, working, all, you know, you know, genders and colors and ages. And it's, 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 it's very, um, my experience is that it was, it was, it was very much like the real world. When I got into studios, studio movies, there's certain certain things that the studios want. They want someone who's very experienced. This is hundreds of millions of dollars on the line every year in any given city at any given time with multiple productions. And so you want to be able to say, has that person worked on anything that big before? Have they done this before? And that kind of have they, have they, have they get you into a place where you start to have a smaller and smaller pool of people because you're just choosing from the same people over and over. No one else is able to get on these larger sets. And so what I was finding was that I was walking into spaces to departments meetings where I was the only woman and I was the only person of color and that is an uncomfortable space for me it's an uncomfortable space for most people who um uh feel alone and in an unprotected and and unguarded um, in environments where they are the only one of their kind there and so what we're trying to do is say it doesn't have to be that way 
Uh, let's expose more people to the folks that hire. Uh, for me, it really came down to uh, one day on a wrinkle in time. So I had had the opportunity. Disney had really supported me in making sure that we had an inclusive set. It was an incredible, incredible set um, with all kinds and colors and cultures of people. And, um, and I'd asked all the department heads when I hired them, I said, look, you hire the person that you think is going to be the best for the job, but at least make sure that you're getting outside of your comfort zone and you're interviewing all kinds of people. So all the departments were crewing up and they were looking, you know, looking like the real world. They were coming across people that they didn't know and hiring all kinds of folks, women, black folk, brown folk, Asian folk, go figure. People beyond just, just, just white men, and, um, but not in the camera department. So I asked my DP to be a Schleichler, great friend of mine who knows I tell this story and likes me to tell this story. I said to him, I was a little upset. I said, you know, T, why is every other department here looking inclusive like everyone belongs? And yours has got, they got your same crew that you always work with. You promised me you would interview other people. And he said to me, and he was, he was, he was, um, he was anxious that I was upset because he really wanted to, you know, help me um, realize my vision. He said, Ava, I know this story is important to you and I want to give you everything that it's going to take for it to be look as great as possible on camera. But to do that, I only know I can do that for sure if I use my guys, because these are my guys and I know they're going to give me what I want so that I can give it to you. And it was the first time I ever thought, oh, this is not someone trying to keep me out. This isn't someone who's setting up systems against me. He's just comfortable. And he just knows that by working with a certain kind of person, he's going to get a certain outcome. What he doesn't know is there might be people who give him an even better outcome or a different outcome, and that's okay as well. And so once he started to open up and actively interview other people, he found three crew members that he had never known that now he's continued to use who are women, who are people of color, who were able to um, rise to the occasion of what he wanted and what his vision was. And so that's the perfect example. And it really changed things for me instead of thinking, you know, that this is always the most blatant, gross racism. Sometimes it's coming out in for different reasons for different people. And we have to listen to that and we have to uh, respond to it. And so our response was, you know, just instead of just talking about awareness, we wanted to make tools. So this is a tool. That's a great, great example. I, I, I love that story um, because it's not a bad person. It's just somebody who thinks we're in this high powered, no. high pressured atmosphere and he wants to do right by you. And he's trying to do everything he can to do yeah. it. Um, but uh, Peter Roth, who's involved in this uh, in this array crew and this this project, explain to me exactly how he fits into this and what he can do for you. I feel like you don't need any help, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, tell me what he can do for you. Thank you, Jeff, for feeling like I don't need any help. And I often in the world walk out and kind of feel like we can do this, you know, we are women, we are black women, we can do it and we do a lot. But we did need his help. We needed, because I don't think two years from the time that we started this, we would be sitting here right now being able to say that we have ever, every major studio and streamer committed to using a Ray Crew in two years. It sounds like a long time. It would have taken us four, right? Because what Peter was able to do as our ally, he was the first person we said, well, I have a relationship with him because my, uh, I make all, all of my TV shows at, at, 
out of the Warner Brothers studios. And so, and he heads Warner Brothers television, so I have a deal there. So we make things together and we had a, it's a great, great shorthand there. And I said, hey, Peter, come by the campus, the Array campus, and let us show you what we're working on. We showed him what we were working on. I said, I just want some feedback. What do you think? Do you think this will work? And he said, yeah, it'll work and I want to help. And so basically what he did, he called his friends. He called the other heads of studios and networks. And he said, you need to listen to Ava. You need to take this phone call. Now, could I have got the call? Probably. But would they have been listening in the way that they were listening when they heard one of their friends say, another white man say, we need to do this. This is valuable. Let's listen to her. And that space opened up a, 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 a connection with a lot of these 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 heads of studios that would have took me a long time to cultivate. And so it's a lot about, you know, you got to lean in. And the reason why I like to tell that story is because, and he would have been fine with me and he prefers me to say, I did it. But it did take someone who was an ally saying, there's a way I can help and let me do that. Let me step up and let me help. And he did step up and it is allowing us to move this along at a much a much faster pace. I mean, Peter Robb calling Alan Horn at Disney, Warner Brothers to Disney saying, hey, friend, you know, you know Ava, she made that movie for you. Oh yeah, she's great. She's got something business-wise to talk to us about that will, that, 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 that's important, let's listen. And he did that with Jim, Jim Giannopoulos at Paramount. He did that with all these, these, these icons in our industry who I know, they know me, but I don't know if they're, <laughs> I don't know if they would be listening as beautifully and intently as they did um, when they were, in, when I was introduced to them by a friend. Yeah. So it was really, it's, um, it was really a beautiful process. It's just interesting because you, you seem to have no, uh, and maybe you keep this inside, but there's nothing cynical about you. And um, the fact is you're so successful at what you do. And, um, you know, money is an important part of Hollywood. And you never say, are they trying, is this window dressing? Are they trying to say the nice thing or the right thing? Or do they genuinely believe that what we need is change and they want to bring that about? Well, I mean, I, I'm not naive, you know, so I, I do understand that there are different motivations for people doing different things, but that's not my concern. My concern is the end goal. Is it getting done? Right. So for whatever reason you want to do it. Right. Uh, is it getting done? Are we moving the needle forward so that more kinds and cultures of and colors of people are on these film sets, getting jobs, making great work so that people are, are watching, you know, film and television that has been made by the hands of many people who've been treated well and have been included in the process. That's my end goal. So if you're doing it because you really believe in balance, equity, and inclusion, and you want to make that a part of your mantra at your studio, fantastic. If you're doing it because you have some boxes to check in diversity for your, you know, your nonprofit initiative, fine. If you're doing it because you feel embarrassed because all the other guys are doing it and you don't want to be the only one, fine. I don't care. Just let's just get it done. And uh, so I'm very aware of all the possibilities and the probabilities of why we're here. I think it's a mix, you know, and I've talked to them and I've, I've talked at length with people and I can tell who is doing it for what, for the most part, ultimately they're all doing it. And so, and, and they're not just saying, yeah, we'll, we'll use it. This is free to the crew member. It, it all, we're a nonprofit, so we, we don't have a whole bunch of money. So it is free to the crew member. We could have either built this by charging the crew member, or we could have built it by charging the studio and streamer. And what we do is we didn't charge them. There's no fee. We said, you need to invest in this. So every major studio 
has made a multi-year six six plus figure investment in crew to keep to build this i mean this company now this crew now has a chief technology officer and you know many employees who are doing tech i mean jeff i'm in the meetings and they're talking to me about their what they're doing it sounds like charlie brown's mom i'm like i'm sure <laughs> what are you doing oh that sounds yes i agree that sounds really good i mean i don't know tech i make movies but I know I need this to make my movies. And so in order to have those kinds of sets that I want, someone had to do something. Is this the end all be all? Is this the only thing that should be done? Is this the best thing that should be done? No, I don't know, probably not, but it's something. It's something more than the panels and the articles and the diversity chiefs and all those things which are valuable. They've gotten us to a point of awareness. At some point you gotta, you gotta start, you gotta do something. So this is just um, our offering to help people get started. So I, I, I want to, um, I, I would be remiss not to say that uh, we all had the treat this week of Queen Sugar returning. And uh, that first episode was, I'm not going to give away where it ends, but it made me happy. Um, and I think it made a lot of people happy. It's not an oh, easy show. Man. Um, but uh, there's mm. one really interesting behind the scenes story from Queen Sugar that I want to ask you about. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name right. I read it. Uh, Sierra Glauday. Is that how you pronounce her name? That's right. That's perfect. Um, it's an amazing story to me because, uh, and I'm going to let you tell it, but this is a uh, someone who started on your show, which is now, I can't believe it's in its fifth season, but it is, starts as a PA, which is a great, uh, respected job. Let's not be rude about it, but this is someone who often is ordering meals and showing up at 3 a.m. and, hey, uh, this guy needs some peanuts. Uh, and now... She has directed multiple episodes. I don't understand how that occurs. Can you can you tell me about that? You've seen it. Well, first of all, it makes me so happy that you're asking about it. I could get emotional. Uh, I won't. I'll hold it in. But this is a young woman that I met when I was speaking somewhere in Alabama around around right before I was going to make Selma. She's like, hey, I'm, I, she was in a film in a film program um, at 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 a, at a at a college in Alabama, and said um, after speaking, she said, ma'am, if there's any ever anything they can do on any of your sets, please, please, I would love to do it. Now I hear that in the grocery store, Jeff. I hear that on the hike. I hear that so much, but there was something in her eyes that made me think, wow, she's serious. She was smart. She asked great questions in the talk that we had and she just had the fire. So we were making Selma and I remembered her and I said, there's a girl, there's a woman, at the young woman at the thing. Let's let her be a PA. So she was a PA. Now, Jeff, there's different kinds of PAs. There's PAs that are close to the camera and there's PAs that are miles away, locking down the, the driveway, three miles away that you might see on camera, just standing there saying, don't come in here. She was that, right? She was nowhere close to the set. She was just way, way just doing the work. That's the tough work that PAs do. And with each production after Selma, I invited her on Sugar. She also worked on Wrinkle in Time. She's worked on almost everything that I've that I've shot over the past, I don't know, seven, eight years. And she moved her way up from a PA way out in the in the boonies to right next to the camera, key PA, in charge of all the other PAs. And at one point I said to her, you have to stop PAing for me if you ever want to be a director, because you can do this forever. Um, you gotta stop. So she stopped, she made a couple of shorts, they were good. And um, and she was shooting and she was working out here in LA doing some different programs. 
And finally, I said, I think you're ready. And she said, are you going to give me a sugar? I said, I'm going to give you a sugar. I was going to give her one episode of Queen Sugar. The pandemic happens. We cannot have that many directors on set prepping. So we could usually we have 10 directors. We decided we could only have three. So I had to pick three directors to get like three episodes each. So instead of just directing one episode of Queen Sugar, she has gone from getting that crew coffee and peanuts to being their director in three episodes. The crew, the cast embraced her, lifted her up. She's made three incredible episodes and she's on her way. She's getting an agent, she's doing other shows. And, um, and this is what happens when you give people opportunity because what it would have taken for her to get on a set coming out of that school in Alabama in an industry that does not have a process to include folks from that, that you don't already know, um, you, we, would have, we would have never had a Sierra Glade and she's gonna be a terrific director. So it's a story and I'm so glad you asked about it. It speaks directly to a Ray Crew and a, a directly to the reason why we have to be more welcoming in our industry of different kinds of folk. The, um, just one last thing on her. Um, as an artist and someone who's worked around famous directors and people who are just starting out, um, Sierra, what is it about her that she brings to that job that she may not have brought to that job if she had a more conventional, um, you know, film school, interning under this person and sort of having it handed to her? I don't think there's anyone more scrappy than someone who's worked on sets. And I mean, I, I, I was a publicist, so I worked on many sets before I was directing. There's something about having been a crew member. That's why I have such respect for crew. That's why I wanted to build a Ray crew. You're there, they are first in and last out. They are waking up at three in the morning. They are there pulling those trucks in before any star, the star of the show or the director is even turning over in their bed. They're there, they're setting up, they're moving that stuff into place. That scroll of names, those credits that you walk on, out on back when we used to go to the movies, those people are the heroes of the movie. <laughs> those are the people that are making it possible. And if you cut your teeth doing that kind of work, then you add the creativity creativity and storytelling on top of it, you're unstoppable. And she has that. She has done that kind of real, what some people think of as grunt work. And so I just have so much respect for it. And she has a very unique trajectory for a director. Mine was different because I was a publicist to a director. She was a PA crew member to a director. Um, and I'm excited to watch her shine. The, um, uh, you know, I noticed in the first episode, there's a moment when Nova is driving to the courthouse and you hear her radio and it talks about the coronavirus and, uh, you know, that it's in China. And I have a feeling, having read what's happened here, that you planted that in there a little after the fact. You shot that first episode in February and then you were shut down. And from what I understand, you ripped up season five and came back with a season five that was uh, very much focused on the issues that are important to us uh, right now and really overall. Black Lives Matter, uh, Black Lives Matters, and the coronavirus. Um, tell me about deciding to do that, because it's a very difficult thing to do, but also a very important thing, but complicated as an artist, you, you, you know, covering contemporary events. Yeah, it just felt weird to continue when we came back from our, our production stop down to come back to the same stories we had written before the world changed. It felt like you do a story about a contemporary family living in the current day. 
So did they, they just not live? Is this a different planet? Are they not experiencing what we're experiencing? And so the challenge of actually, and the, and the, and the beauty, the gift of making a story about 2020 in 2020 was what we took on. So we put those other scripts aside, beautiful scripts, and we decided to completely remake the show. So we had only shot one out of the 10 episodes, which is the one that we, uh, we aired uh, this week. Um, but from here on, everything else was shot when we came back in, in the fall. And it was really interesting making work about 2020 in 2020. We're one of the few shows that did it. Um, because even now, you, you think about it, if, if you, you were to write a story about the election, it would be colored by January 6th about who won the election and about everything that's happened since. If you'd written a story the week before the election, it would have a different feel. That This whole season was written while we were experiencing it. So we were still in the summer of the racial reckoning and dealing in a very raw way with the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor as we were writing it. We were seeing people dealing with horrible food scarcity and losing their jobs, being told, don't go to the hospital, cut a sock for a mask, that'll do. First it was, don't wear a mask. Then it was, here's how you cut a sock. You know what I mean? Now we're hearing it should be a KN95 or an N95 and you need to double mask it. You know, all of the things that we didn't know, we were writing that. And so I'm, I feel honored that we were able to make work about 2020 in 2020 because it's a very unique point of view and um, that the studio Warner Brothers and OWN, Oprah Winfrey Network, our network, supported us in doing that. But it was a crazy process. We were, I've never written one day and then watched an actor perform it the next day. It was that fast. We were trying to get it done. And so kudos to my writing partner, uh, Anthony Sparks and Norman Vance, um, and to the whole team in New Orleans. We were writing in LA, sending pages to New Orleans. They were shooting during COVID, Paul Garns, Cheryl Miller, the team there, and that beautiful cast too, um, who, and the crew. Um, I'm proud of it. and I'm. I'm glad you asked about it. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the rest of the season. I, I, you know, it's as I said, it's a hard, it's not always an easy watch. You know, when they see us, I didn't just go get, uh, you know, get the kids around and say uh, randomly, hey, let's watch this. I, we, I thought it was deliberate, I have to say, because right. I knew it was hard. Um, you know, you, you, I mean, obviously yeah. this is, this was the summer of a racial reckoning and I just would be interested in, in, um, it's an unanswerable question, but it's one I, I, I'd ask you, um, you know, how we have short attention spans. Our country moves from one thing to the next. How do we take something like this, this moment and turn it into actual, you know, sustained action? You know, I think we have to get past the moment of, of talking about it and, and, and being, and we have to be about it. And that's a lot of what we're trying to do with crew, get out of like diversity panels and talks and actually make tools. And I think that was the missed opportunity this summer, but it doesn't mean that it's, it's too far gone to get it back. There was a lot of awareness. There was a lot of talking. There was a lot of talking about our emotions. And that's important when, it, when there's trauma in play. Um, but at the point that you let that to continue to repeat and repeat without putting practice into place without changing your processes, your protocols, your policies. Now you, I think there's a sense, there's a sense to some of us that it's disingenuous because how long are we going to talk about it before we do it? You know, a lot of what most of America felt uh, around this summer was deeply felt by the black and brown communities, particularly the black community around Trayvon Martin, around, around, you know, Sandra Bland. I mean, this, it was not a new 
feeling of, of rage and inaction. But there was something about that tape and something about the way that it moved around the world that ignited the passions and the sympathies of people who were, who were not black as well in a way that it hadn't before. And instead of moving forward in that moment and taking action, we had to kind of talk it out with everybody. So I, when I look back at that summer, you know, those, those protests were communication. It was talking it out and it was a lot of that. What actionable has come from it is something that still remains to be seen and can still be seized upon. Um, you know, we're coming on the anniversary of all of that in short order, a couple of months. And I believe there'll be a lot of reflection on what, it, what has happened since then. And it's not too late to make things happen. Um, and so, uh, you know, the hope is that we're moving in that direction. Obviously, the election was a, a major part of, of action taken. Uh, and and we, there's so much more to be done. We just, we just can't stop. Ava, look, um, we, uh, I could do this all day because, uh, I mean, I could spend two hours breaking down the dinner scene at Middle of Nowhere, uh, but you have a job, uh, <laughs> both as an artist and uh, a, a- You have a job. I, I do, but I have time today. Um, but look, we're, we're so grateful that you, you, you uh, came here. We're grateful for the work you do, both on screen and off screen. And um, we, I, I hope we'll have you back sometime. So thank you so much for being with us. And everybody, we're, um, uh, you, can, like, you can thank me too. <laughs> I always like talking to you and want to thank everyone involved. It was a great time. So everybody, tomorrow on Washington Post uh, Live at uh, nine o'clock, we have the amazing Jonathan Capehart. He's going to be talking to reporters and, and columnists about the news of the day. As always, if you want to sign up for our programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com and you can register. And uh, thank you so much for being here. I'm Jeff Edgers and have a great day. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com. Dot com.